10. I trust that it will be a fruitful time for our church as we seek to tease out what it says to us about Jesus, uh, his mission, and ultimately our mission as a church as we seek to make an impact for the Lord both locally and globally. As I've been reading over the material and preparing what has been supplied by Global Interaction, it has become clearly evident to me how near and dear this subject matter is to the heart of God. And therefore, what matters to God ought to matter to us. So I trust that this is a season, a moment in time where we as a church can really engage with what Jesus is saying to us through the scriptures in Luke chapter 10. As we contemplate the sending of the 72, it is helpful for us to remember or to understand the context in which it occurs. As with any individual passage, we need to keep in mind uh, the, not only the immediate context of where that particular passage is found within its book or letter, but of course in the grander narrative of the entire Bible. Luke 10 is a significant narrative about the mission of Jesus and his disciples. But it is not one of a kind. There are many other missionary or sending narratives, if you like, in the New Testament. To understand what this passage is saying to us about mission, it helps to be mindful of its place, firstly, within the broader narrative spectrum of Luke's gospel. Uh, For instance, by reading Luke 10 in the light of the whole of Luke's gospel, we come to understand that this is not a universally binding uh, way for all Christian mission to be done in the future. Nevertheless, as we kind of eavesdrop in on Luke 72 and through the lens of the rest of Scripture, we find important things to grasp about Jesus' identity, his mission and subsequently our identity and our mission as followers of Jesus. So by way of quick summary in the context, uh, Luke 1, uh, the first sort of four verses in Luke 1 uh, speak of you know, the, the, the Luke's prologue uh, that Luke writes to Theophilus. He begins by expressing his desire to set down an orderly account of all the information that he has gathered. Uh, He then moves on to the birth narratives of Jesus and then the preparation of Jesus' ministry uh, in Galilee. Um, We see Jesus' ministry in Galilee and the outworking of that ministry uh, up until chapter 9, verse 50. And then from 9, uh, 51 through to 1948 is Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And the kind of cue to this particular narrative occurs in Luke 9.51 where Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And then chapters 20 to 24 are primarily concerned with the passion story. The earlier part of the gospel has been orientated around establishing the identity of Jesus and his messianic mission. But now the, the narrative becomes about how Jesus will fulfill his mission through his suffering, his rejection, um, his crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection. It seems at 9.51 that the story takes on a fresh sense of urgency as Jesus begins his journey towards Jerusalem, towards the climax of the story, of course, being the cross and resurrection. Along with this shift 
in the narrative. It's worth noting another new development in the progression of the story. Up until the end of Luke chapter 8, the disciples have been following Jesus. They've been with Jesus, watching him, observing him, almost like passive spectators. But now they are invited to leave the grandstand and to step onto the playing field, if you like. They are called out to become participators in Jesus' mission. And this is a process that began in chapter 9, 1 to 17, with the sending of the 12 disciples. This now gets uh, expanded to the sending of the 72 in chapter 10. And the theme of sending will become a, a great theme that weaves its way right through all of Luke's work, both in Luke and Acts. In chapter 24, 45 to 49, we find Luke's version of the Great Commission, where the mission to the lost gets extended furthermore to peoples of all nations. The sending theme of Luke continues in Acts 1 verse 8, where we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This verse really sets the tone for the entire book of Acts, which is great. We're going to be looking at those first 11 chapters of Acts in June. Uh, but it, we can see that that verse, that commission, kind of shapes how the rest of the mission plays out and how the story of Jesus' good news continues to spread uh, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and indeed the ends of the earth. Ash will now read to us from Luke 10, one to three. Thanks, Ash. All right. So today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 10, verses one to three. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. This is the word of God. As Jesus commissions his followers to take the kingdom of God to the towns and villages in the region, he begins by explaining what is before them. They are few. But those who need to hear the transforming message of Jesus are many. Jesus himself will follow the laborers, uh, but these few labor these laborers are an important part of God's kingdom. They are people sent by Jesus himself. So Jesus sends out the 72. Many scholars kind of are uncertain whether it's 72 or 70. But at any rate, many scholars believe that this number is symbolically significant. Just as the 12 uh, is significant in Jesus choosing 12 disciples, so too is the 70 or 72. Some associate the number with events recounted in Numbers 11, 16 and 24, where Moses appoints 70 elders whom are given a share of God's spirit that they might share in the burden of leading God's people through the Exodus experience. Biblical scholars Tom Wright and Leon Morris suggest this says something profound about the identity and the mission of Jesus. Jesus in his life, his ministry, his suffering, his rejection and crucifixion 
and resurrection is leading the new exodus, rescuing people, to, um, rescuing people from the bondage and slavery of their sin, releasing them into freedom and forgiveness with God. And this is the ministry to which Jesus um, invites his disciples to carry on and to participate in. Other scholars suggest that the 70 or 72 reference may be an echo of the table of nations in Genesis. The point being that the choosing of 72 anticipates a much broader uh, scale of mission. That indeed this is a mission that is going viral, that is going global. Others, it must be said, see no symbolism whatsoever in the number 72. Uh, the, the significance is simply that Jesus is extending his missionary uh, mission, if you like, from 12 now to 72. The point being that mission is not confined to a select few, but indeed is for the many. There is always a need for more and more people to take up their cross and to become harvesters for the Lord. Another thing worth noting in this account is that Jesus sends out workers two by two. Uh, this was no doubt for support, fellowship and mutual encouragement. It's reported here, but it also seems to be part of a much broader practice of mission. And we see this through the apostles in the book of Acts. Wherever we hear of mission ventures, we hear of small gospel teams, whether it be Paul and Barnabas... Paul and Timothy, Barnabas and John, Mark, and so forth. The point is that Christian mission is always at its richest when it is practiced in community. We go together and we invite people into community. I've always found that point very helpful, personally. Sometimes when it comes to sharing our faith and sharing the gospel we get a little bit freaked out of, about that as individuals. And I particularly like the idea of fishing with nets. So modern fishing today, if you're going out fishing, uh, is often with a single rod. And there's a sense of the individual. But the kind of fishing that we see in the Bible and the fishing that Jesus speaks about when he says, oh, I'm going to make you fishers of men, is always in the context of a team, right? With other people with big nets. And I love this idea of mission being practised in community, into community. And that's something for us to think about. That's not really the point of this morning, but it's something for us to think about. How are we doing mission together? How are we opening our homes with one another for the benefit of welcoming in those who may not yet be part of that community? See, doing mission in community, into community, is what we see in Luke 1072, which I think is cool. It's something I've always taken great uh, comfort in, that I'm not expected to go out on a solo mission, uh, but that the mission is always done in the context of teams. The need for more workers. Whilst the harvest is exorbitantly large, the workers are incredibly few. Being a harvester is difficult. In several places in Luke chapter 9, Jesus often talks about the difficulty of following him. He never sugarcoats it. It will involve taking up one's cross and putting him above all other loyalties. There are great joys in living for Jesus and his kingdom, but there are also great costs and responsibilities. So much so we are left wondering at the end of chapter 9, 
whether there will in fact be anyone left to follow Jesus. He's very upfront about what it's going to mean. Happily, in 10 verse 1, we find that there is not only 12 who are prepared to follow Jesus, but now there are 72. And the reality of a huge harvest and so few workers remains a sad reality for the church today. With such a large harvest and so few workers, it could lead those few workers to believe that this incredible mission uh, is left to the few and that those few become uh, manic in their uh, approach towards mission, thinking that if they can muster up enough sheer effort and will, that maybe God's mission will be carried out. But manic activity is not the response that the Lord is looking for. Prayer is. And we're invited to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more laborers. It is He who sends. It is, after all, His mission field. The gospel message expansion is in God's control. He is the one who thrusts out labor. So in humble dependence on God's provision... We are to pray. And as we pray, we must be aware that we, like the 12 or the 72, may in fact become the very answer to the prayer in which we pray. Linked to the cost of following Jesus is the reality in which the workers find themselves. Those who come to work for the Lord and seek to be harvesters are walking into difficulty. This time, Jesus uses the image of lambs being among wolves. Lambs are creatures without much protection. They can't protect themselves, but need a shepherd to take care of them. They are followers, yet they can't, uh, and yet can't look after themselves when danger is around. Wolves, on the other hand, search and are on the lookout to catch a lamb and devour it. A follower of Jesus is sent into the harvest like a lamb, protected, yes, by Jesus the true shepherd, being chased and harassed by those who would seek to have them devoured. To go out on God's mission is to put yourself in a vulnerable position. And we need to rely on the protection of the Lord as we seek to share the good news of his kingdom. During our five-week series, we'll be, hearing from, we'll be hearing personal testimonies from some of our cross-cultural workers uh, that relates to the topic we're talking about. So what right now we're going to spend a moment listening to David, who works in Southeast Asia, and his experience of being a labourer in the harvest field. Let's listen to that now. I've been thinking 
here is diverse in that we have at one extreme team members working in remote villages among small groups of people living on the fringes of wild jungle areas with little contact with the outside world. And yet at the other extreme, we have other members of our team working in huge metropolitan areas whose population bases reach upwards of 10 million people. These are locations that the historian Arnold Toynbee referred to as primate cities because of their disproportionate and momentous influence over entire countries and regions of the world. So we have a diverse harvest field, and yet it is also uniform. Uniform in the sense that all the peoples among which we minister are unreached people groups. That means that they have had little to no opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus in ways that they can understand. They are often difficult areas in which to gain permission to, to, to live and work. And yet God is opening up many opportunities for us at the moment. For example, through our development ministries, through our education uh, foundation, we have the opportunity to, to work and begin courses in a number of areas. Through these courses, we are able to develop meaningful relationships with local people, give them skills that will help them in life, and also begin to share the story about Jesus with them. Recently, we had a young mother who I will call Rita come to know Jesus. She had grown up hearing about his name, but had never heard his story. As she learned how he lived a sinless life, how he died on the cross, bearing her shame, giving her the opportunity to have peace with the God that she knew about, but who she felt so far off, her heart was just deeply touched, and she made a commitment to follow Jesus. As far as we know, she's the first believer from her extended family and community. After making this decision to follow Jesus, she expressed some fear and she wondered how her family would respond to this. Yet in her joy, she went home and told her husband about this decision. At first, he was quite angry with her, but the Holy Spirit is now working in his heart as well, and he's becoming softer to this message. And we are praying that he too will soon believe and join with her in reaching her family story. There are many opportunities here at the moment, and I'd like to invite you to pray that God would send out more workers to minister in this part of the world. As Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We need more laborers here. More than that, I'd like to challenge you to pray one of the most dangerous prayers that you can ever pray. It's a prayer with just three words in it. It is this prayer, Lord, use me. Would you be willing to pray that prayer? And see how God might speak to you and challenge you, how he might want to use you. Who knows? He may want to use you in the jungle or in the mega cities in this part of the world to share his story with people who have never had the opportunity to hear it before. In Luke 10, 1-3, we see Jesus sending out 
people to go and be part of his mission, to send out the message of hope to all peoples. And I want to encourage you to consider where God might be sending you into your community to witness for him. I want to encourage you to pray, uh, to pray that God might send out more laborers into the harvest. I want you to consider if maybe God is calling you where there is desperate need. And I also want to invite you to pray for those who have answered that call to be laborers in the harvest where they are vulnerable, vulnerable to attack. So would you join me now in praying? Father God, we thank you so much that you are a God who always invites us to participate in your mission, a mission to all peoples of all nations about the life-transforming, changing message of Jesus, that in you, Lord, is hope and reconciliation with God and peace and life everlasting. Father, I pray that you might help each one of us hear your voice as to where you would send us to be your laborers. Lord, we thank you that you have given each one of us multiple opportunities to engage with people who have not yet discovered a faith in you. And I pray that this coming month we might be more attuned to the leadings and the promptings of your Holy Spirit. Father, maybe for some of us you are actually calling us to become full-time workers in your mission field, wherever that may be. Uh, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do a great work in the hearts of those whom you are calling. Uh, Lord, we want to thank you for those who have answered the call. We thank you for David, who we just heard from. We thank you for Heather and Tobias, uh, working in translating the Bible into Yao language in Mozambique and Malawi. We thank you for Paul and Naomi Dennis, Lord, as they prepare to serve you uh, in another country in an area of least reached people. Father, there are many others who have taken up that call, quite literally, uh, to go to the ends of the earth and to serve you. We pray, Father, that in their vulnerability, you would protect them, you would empower them by your spirit, and you would give them the privilege uh, of seeing people's lives changed and transformed as they come to witness the wonderful gospel message of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Over the, the, the rest of the month, we'll...